Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This week, there was one word that seemed to dominate the airwaves. The whistleblower at the center of By his... By targeting mind. the whistleblower in his case. We're trying to find out about a whistleblower. When you have a whistleblower that... In remarks made to reporters in the Oval Office Monday, Trump let it be known that he's trying to find out the identity of the whistleblower, not to mention the person or persons who gave him the goods. Who's the person who gave the whistleblower the information? Because that's close to a spy. You know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart, right? With spies and treason, right? We used to handle it a little differently than we do now. Can he do that? What is the role of the whistleblower and what protections do they have? A few years back, we did an etymology of the word with linguist Ben Zimmer. He says it dates back to the beginning of the 20th century. And the original whistleblowers, naturally enough were people who actually blew whistles. So that would be like a referee in football or boxing who might blow the whistle in order to stop the proceedings. And then it just got extended in American slang. Blowing the whistle just meant put a stop to things. So, for example, in a story that appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle in 1909, there was a slangy use of this expression. Ah, say, Sadie, blow the whistle on that, can't you, says I. So in that sense, blow the whistle on that just means just stop talking, just shut up. Funny that blowing the whistle once meant to shut up. But in the 1930s, it took on a darker hue. It meant to snitch, to rat, to squeal. So we see it in various groups, you know, the labor unions is one example. To be called a whistleblower in the context of labor unions again, becomes the equivalent of being a rat or a fink. I mean, we think about dramatic depictions of this, like, on the waterfront. You ratted on us, Terry! I was ratting on myself all them years. I didn't even know it. And I'm glad what I've done to you. You hear that? I'm glad what I've done! And it's not as if words like rat have vanished in our more enlightened era. Similar epithets were applied to Edward Snowden. He's a punk. You know, like I said, he's a loser. Hell no, he's not a hero. He's done a great service. He's a traitor. I think he's either a defector or a traitor. Look at that guy. The guy's a weasel. What do other nations use? The Dutch use the term bell ringer, and the people climb the church towers to warn the town of danger. Tom Devine is the legal director for the Government Accountability Project, which offers legal aid to whistleblowers. The Russians use the term lighthouse keeper after those who shine lights on the rocks that otherwise would sink ships. The Zulus in Africa, they call them the lookouts. They nickname them the sentries. The Serbians, their word for whistleblowers, alarm raiser. What I've kind of noticed is that it is the freedom to warn that's been captured in the term as it's used in many other countries. And so it is in America, which is why the term is now one of honor, always applied to those leakers whose values we share. But when and how did a term once synonymous with stool pigeon take on the mantle of moral rectitude? Well, language maven Ben Zimmer says it happened in 1970 in Washington. But the more pertinent question is who did it? And to that he answers Ralph Nader. He wants to encourage whistleblowing in corporations, in government, in situations where there may be potentially damaging information, where there could be great pressure not to reveal that information. So when he moves up to Washington in 1970, he starts giving speeches, asking whistleblowers to step up. 
And then the following year, he's involved in organizing the Conference on Professional Responsibility. And he said at this conference, the whistleblower is not liked. We have invidious terms for him. He is a fink or a stool pigeon, a squealer or an informer, or he rats on his employer. But Nader successfully rehabilitates whistleblower as a term that it's okay to be one. In a way, it was really about branding, you could say. It became your civic duty. It became an ethical thing to do. Nader's timing was good, too. This is the era of the Pentagon Papers, and then a bit later, the Watergate investigations. Um, And so this was very much in the mind of people that this kind of stepping forward could be seen as something positive when the government itself was very often seen as corrupt. Somehow you wouldn't think of Ralph Nader, legendary consumer advocate, erstwhile presidential aspirant, as being into word rehabilitation. But you'd be wrong. Well, when I got to Washington, I had read a few books on semantics. And one of them had a chapter called, The Word is a Thing. (laughs) So the only way you can make a word look good is to attach it to a good deed. Ralph Nader. A lot of our successes were traced back to conscientious employees who jeopardized their job and uh, their pension and spoke out on behalf of the public's right to know and the public health and safety. You recognize that's a huge asset in our countries to have conscientious employees who will not get along by going along, but will stand tall and speak out, even at the jeopardy of their own job and future income. And you said, we don't have an untainted word to describe these people? No, there wasn't. I got early the idea that the press liked the word whistleblower. It was compressed with meaning, and we gave it a a meaning of moral courage. We tried to make that whistleblower heroic. But nothing elevates a word like legal recognition, laws that protect federal employees like the Whistleblower Protection Enhancement Act, which Nader championed and Tom Devine of the Government Accountability Project spent more than a decade pushing through. The Whistleblower Protection Enhancement Act has been in existence for a little over two years. It's had a very positive impact on the agencies that interpret the law. How so? The loopholes have been closed that made the act irrelevant for almost everyone. And now people are getting their hearings and they're winning their fair share of the hearings because all the ways that the deck had been stacked were canceled. Congress took those cards out and put fair ones in. The term whistleblower, as defined in the act, is not just a moral mantle, it's a legal one. Devine says that since the law has passed, his group hasn't lost a single case. Now it's defending John Kiriakou. Whatever Kiriakou's initial motivation may have been, according to Devine, now he is a whistleblower. Meanwhile, Nader is more interested in retiring words than rehabilitating them. Exchange white-collar crime, for instance, for corporate crime. Private sector for corporate sector. Settlements for colonies. Oh, this is my favorite. Listen to this. The people who gouge you in the drug industry and the health industry are called providers, (laughs) right? So, I mean, just think of the tremendous image elevation when you can be part of a trillion-dollar industry and you're given an image of philanthropy. Here's one for you, tort reform. (laughs) 
This is restricting your rights if you're wrongfully injured from having your full day in court. And they call it tort reform. How about this one? The only ethnic group that now is slandered with impunity, you'll never guess. He welched on me. Okay, here's another one. The book that inspired Nader is called The Tyranny of Words by Stuart Chase. He made me write it down. The lesson here, don't be ruled by the words institutions stamp on things. If they don't portray the truth as you see it, then do what Nader does. Rat them out. I mean, blow the whistle on them. Talking to the hippies on the Watergate hiders. Talking to the people getting down at the go-go. Tune in to On the Media this weekend for a brisk dip into the current state of the maelstrom that is Fox News and the conspiracy theories it keeps churning. See you then. I'm Brooke Gladstone. Got a good diploma from the hippie school, y'all.